and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Today, in a sermon which Pastor Elliot originally presented to his congregation in Pennsylvania, we'll continue to draw lessons from a church which served God at the same time as living immorally. And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. That was the first predicament, that you didn't work if you weren't in a trade guild. The second predicament was that the trade guild, believe it or not, required that its members be sexually immoral. The trade guild made it so that if you were part of them, you had to follow this cult of Jezebel. Sleep around. Get intoxicated. Eat food that celebrated idolatry. That's a predicament if you've got a family to feed in Thyatira. But there's more predicaments. The third predicament was that, of course, that idolatry's fornication was enticing to anyone's flesh. And the food and the wine offered to you at that idolatrous feast banquet was of the best quality. It was gourmet food. It was the finest vintage wines. And so that enticed the appetites. But there's more. There was another predicament. The predicament was that at the writing of this letter to the church at Thyatira, there is no recorded instance of God chastening any believer who caved into the Jezebel cult in Thyatira. So put yourself in their sandals. Think about it. You have a family to feed in Thyatira. It's the textile capital of the ancient world. The most famous purple dye, most expensive dye available. You can make a fine living if you join a trade guild. But if you refuse to join the trade guild, you will be banished from employment in the city. Your kids would seem to go hungry. You may lose your home. Additionally, to join the trade guild meant to be sexually immoral and an idolater. Additionally, what was going on in the trade guild by way of sin had some certain allurement to your flesh. Additionally, you'd never seen any believer that you know of in Thyatira who had caved into the cult, and many had. You'd never seen even one of them spanked by God. So you'd have a dilemma. You would have a dilemma. Would you join the immoral trade guild and foreseeably have a good living? Or would you turn from the guild and go it with God alone to see by faith how God would supply for your family? That was a dilemma back then, but do you know what? It's still the dilemma this morning, isn't it? Do we believe that 
drawing nigh to God, drawing near to God, honoring God with our family and our business and our retirement and our schooling is far superior to caving into the world and all that it tells us will give us pleasure in the short run. The dilemma is the very same. And when you look around you in your spheres of influence, where you work, where you live, where you study, and you see the wicked, compromised, sinful Christian who professes to be a Christian not getting any negative repercussions from God where you work with them or study with them or live with them, is it not a temptation if we are honest to say, oh, she gets away with it. Maybe it doesn't bother God that much doesn't seem to affect his life. Maybe I should just cave in as well and make it a whole lot easier. That's sort of like the person who speeds down I-84 with an eye peeled in the center median and on the shoulder looking for the state trooper with radar. As soon as you see the state trooper with radar, you slam on the brakes as if he doesn't know what you're doing. And maybe you... Ten times in a row, skip the ticket, although you were speeding all ten times because you missed, but you keep living that way. You keep saying that I won't get caught. It's not that big a deal speeding. Eventually, you do get caught, and it is a big deal speeding. And so, we need to do a little test. We need to administrate a little test on our own hearts, nobody else's heart. If the pastor said to you, how much money would it take me to pay to you so you would cheat on your income taxes? How much money would it take? Of course, the longer a person waits to answer that question and thinks about it, the deeper in the moral weeds that person is. When you are invited to take a bribe to do something that's against the moral law of God and the law of the land, your response like mine should be instantaneous. I don't do that. God is no thief. God is no cheat. And I am God's. And so the question I asked this week of myself and the question I invite you to be asking yourselves in this half hour Am I getting by or am I being holy? When push comes to shove and I can only have one or the other, which do I most want? Do I want to have practical answers to my practical needs without any need for faith? Or do I want to trust my everything to my Savior and magnify and honor him with consistency of character and life? Which do I pick? In Thyatira, it was to do with trade guilds. You joined one and you had a living. You didn't join one and you probably didn't have a living. For us, it involves something called the W-2. Something called the W-2. It has boxes, of course, that state amounts, and one of those boxes says what your total income is as recorded from your employer. But what if you worked for cash? What if you received income that's not on your W-2? Are you going to say, it's just a matter of getting by, Pastor. Times are tight. 
My kid's going to college. I got medical expenses. Or do you want to be holy? What about that business deal that your boss wants you to make, salesman? He sends you to some place in the United States with a product or a service, and he wants you to come back with a certain dollar volume of sales, or you might not have a job if you come below that goal. You're going to cut the corner. You're going to offer the prospective customer things that the boss would not offer so you can get his signature on a piece of paper and come back to your boss and keep your job. It's a matter of choosing, do I want to just get by or do I want to be holy? How about the person who's injured on the job and rightfully should get workman's compensation? What happens when that period of time passes and the benefits cease and you go to your doctor and he says, well, I could sign you on for a couple more months. You don't really need it medically. You're just going to settle for getting by and doing what a doctor maybe unscrupulously would say is an option? Or are you going to, before a holy God, say, my compensation period is over, and if you say I'm med medically cleared to go to work, I'm going to work, even if your work pays you less than compensation did? It's a decision between getting by and a decision about being holy. We could go on and on. Business expenses. The person who just wants to get by as a Christian pads their expense book. The person who's concerned about being holy and like Jesus Christ refuses to do that. The kitchen in our church is a lovely gift of ministry that we're all grateful for. Are we just going to settle on getting by and not keeping to the code of Pennsylvania for public health? After all, it's a little cumbersome. Or are we going to say we're going to honor Jesus Christ and be holy as a church in the community and with the state and comply to every regulation that they have for us with a good attitude? Getting by or being holy? And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to continue talking about Jesus and culture and we want to talk about how you can make a difference. How are you making an impact to those around you? You see, we need to understand that there are outcasts in this world who are in the most need of Christ. And we need to understand that how are we as believers, how are we sharing our faith? How are we telling them about Christ? How are we impacting the culture around us? And I want us to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. And I want us to look at how Jesus calls people out of darkness into light and how Jesus called a tax collector here and, he, and he's telling him to come as the, as the world around him was like, what are you doing, Jesus? And this is what it said in verse 9, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9. It says this, And Jesus went on from there and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, but I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. I think we need to understand here that we have to be very careful with this text as well. 
Because there will be some people who will tell you that, you know what, then you don't need no relationship with believers. That you need to just be taking your, you know, your time with unbelievers and try to talk to them about Christ. But the reality is this, is that we need to have believers in our corner. We need to have believers who we need to, to find encouragement from. We need to find believers who will, uh, you know, be there for us. But what this is saying is that we need to look at the world and we need to understand this. How can I make an impact? How can I reach others for Christ? You see, Matthew would have been a person who many would have thought there's no way Jesus wanted anything to do with him. Here it is. He's a tax collector. And let's be honest, we don't like tax collectors. We don't like people as we come into the airport who want to collect duties from us. We don't like those people because we would love to just pass on by and have to pay no duty. But that's not the reality. The reality is we have to pay taxes. And when we see people coming to us to collect money, we would almost run. But here it is. Jesus is running towards Matthew and saying, look, I want you to follow me. Now, Matthew could have done this as well. Matthew could have said, what do you want with me, Jesus? I'm just a tax collector. I'm a person that, you know, maybe robbed the people. I, you know, collect taxes. You know, people don't like me. You know, there's no way that this is for real. But what does it say that he did? Jesus said, follow me. And he got up and followed him. The question comes to us is this. What are we doing? You know, we call ourselves believers. We call ourselves Christian, and, and as we think uh, as a young person, as we think of things that, that we love to hold on to, what are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing with the friends that God's given you? Are you making an impact in those friends? Are you telling them about Christ, showing them Christ? Let's be honest. There are a lot of us who are listening to this broadcast who we have friends who our parents don't approve of. And our parents have probably told us over and over that they do, do not want us to hang with them. They don't want us to, to be involved with them because we know eventually they're going to tear you down, bring you down. And this is why this is very you know, key here that we need to understand that Jesus is Jesus. He's 100% man, 100% God. You know, He can go out and eat tax collectors and eat with sinners and he won't sin. But we need to be careful and we need to understand that we have to have this in small doses. That as we think of our friends, our friends need to be born-again believers. Our friends need to be people who are going to encourage us. But we need to have those people who we can share our faith with, who need to hear about Jesus Christ. We need to be there for them. And I think too many times, and I know in my life, when I consider my friends as I was a teenager, it was so easy for me to follow the, those, those teenagers who didn't want anything to do with God. And they would bring me down so quickly, even though I was going to church, even though I was, you know, attending everything that I could when the church doors open, it didn't matter because I had so much effect from those on the outside that it really didn't matter what was going on the inside. We all need to recognize that as, as Jesus is saying in verse 12, he says this, Now when we, he had heard, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire Mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, as a believer, we need to understand that God has called us to share his name. He has called us to make an impact. He has called us to make his name famous. You see, we're all about making a name for ourselves. But what about making the name of Jesus famous? 
Because Jesus is the one that offered us salvation, who gave us salvation, who came to this earth and died on the cross for our sin to give us this relationship, to give us a hope that we would not have. The question becomes to us, are we willing to look at the life of Matthew and say, you know what? I'm ready to drop everything and follow Christ. I'm ready to give up on what it is I was doing to follow Christ completely. Because this is what it says, that he got up and followed him. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm holding on to this morning that would stop me from making an impact of what God would want me to do? What is it that I need to give up? What is it that I need to say, God, here it is, and use me to bring honor and glory to you? I would challenge you this morning to ask yourself, how can you make an impact to those around you, to those who live in the house with you, to those that, as you go to school in September, how can I make an impact? And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, good morning. I'm very pleased this morning to have in our radio studio uh, Rhonda Darville, who is the founder and the executive director of the Bahamas Godparent Center. Good morning. Good morning, Pastor Rob. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank Wonderful. you. Thanks for having me in studio. You're more than welcome. You have an exciting uh, and growing ministry that the Lord has raised up within your heart first and now with the hands and feet of others to uh, the streets and homes of our country. And I just would like to start by simply asking, what is the Bahamas Godparent Center? Well, the Bahamas Godparent Center is, first of all, a crisis pregnancy center. It's a pregnancy resource center that offers assistance for men and women finding themselves in an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy. Um, in conjunction with that, we also youth and a family ministry. And that's because we focus on sexual integrity sessions, abstinence, and educating the family mm -hmm. and building the family of our country. Oh, that's excellent. Um, could you help the listeners know why these kind of ministries and helps are necessary in the Bahamas? Well, one of the reasons, the main reasons is in our country specifically is that we have a 70% unwed mother rate. Mm. And so a lot of times you will find a mother is unprepared to parent. Um, she doesn't have the skills necessary to parent, maybe the educational needs mm -hmm. or the support of family members or the community at large. And so she will then fall through the cracks. Hence, also, those children can fall from the cracks. And I think we see a lot of those issues from those types of families in our community at large. Angry kids. Yes. Um, we see women on the street begging mm -hmm. with children yes. at, at, at lights. You know, there's a lack of some sort of support, and we need to bridge the gap for that. Sure. Just to clarify, uh, Rhonda, when you say 70%, uh, that's 70% of what? 70% of all pregnancies oh. in our country. Wow. So there, you, you're looking at basically between the ages of 15 to say 30, you know, it can be not, it's not just teenage pregnancies because a lot of the people that we see, they're not teenagers. Uh -huh. We're seeing um, 20 year olds, 30 year olds mm. in our center. Uh, we have another organization in the Bahamas that deals a lot with uh, teenagers per se, Yes, because we don't have a educational backdrop for them to stay in school. And that's just the mothers. 
Yes. Mothers are let out of school. The young men who may have made them pregnant are still in school. I see. So we have PACE that does that. So they provide access to education for those young mothers. Unfortunately, though, that same young mother, as a teenage mother, a lot of times she'll get pregnant again. Mm -hmm. She'll find herself in the same situation. And again, that's education, that's training, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. There's a lot in the background. Yes. You know? Appreciate knowing that. And I know our listeners would probably find that uh, new information, perhaps. How would, um, how would a person interested in reaching out to PACE, how would they do that? Well, PACE is located in uh, Central Gospel Chapel's building on Dowswell Street. Okay. And so, but they're also affiliated with the Ministry of Education. Yes. So typically a young girl in a, in a school setting the nurse would know, and I guess there would be a, a natural process. Okay, that's, thank you. That's helpful. Mm -hmm. um, now, back to the Bahamas Godparents Center. Um, what would you say you're seeking to accomplish? A safety net. A safety net of support. I know a lot of persons who have traveled the road of a single mother. Sure. And... Um, we see it happening in our ministry a lot where we, we may have met a single mother in one of our sessions where we have just sh shared our ministry. She's come come to us now because she's pregnant again. Yes. Um, sometimes single mothers in our country find themselves in prostitution because mm -hmm. they can't support their children. We see people begging on the streets. We see that prevalent right now in our country. That you, I never saw that before. Yes. Um, we're noticing that the, the woman that we're meeting now, and who, who's in her 20s or her 30s, she comes from a background where her mother was a single mother. Yes. And didn't have the means necessary to educate her and to help her on how to make a different decision. Mm -hmm. You know, or for instance, the young man, he comes from a single father home. So he's now faced with the possibility of his girlfriend or a woman that he was with having a baby. He doesn't know what it is to parent a child. Yes. He he wants to know. So a safety net of support. Um, not only that, how do we bring our country back to solid family structures? Yes. We, we, we've lacked that for a long time. And so we see degradation that's happening in our society. How do we get that back? The only way we can do that is through education. Um, we live in a highly sexualized world. Yes, we do. And so the Bahamas is not alone in this. This is a global ep epidemic. And so it's easy to say, okay, uh, contraceptives. But, okay, again, we could go back to two-thirds of our clients. They come in. They were on contraceptives. Wow. Contraceptives are not safe sex. Right. That's all the time we have for today. Due to the length of this interview, we have broken it into smaller pieces. And I hope and pray that you will be able to join us next time as we continue this discussion. For more information on the Bahamas Guard Parent Center, you can phone them at 698-4306. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters 
at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. I have a question based on Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Question. Are there times when a Christian may choose to disobey civil authority? Answer. While Paul and Peter commanded believers to be in subject to governing authorities, see Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 and 1 Peter 2 verses 13 to 17, there appear to be times when Christians may disobey governing authorities. Civil disobedience may be defined as any action taken by an individual citizen who, out of regard for personal conscience, violates the laws of government that are in conflict with the higher law of God. We find numerous examples of civil disobedience in the scripture. The Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1 verses 15 to 17, Moses' parents in Exodus 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, Obadiah in 1 Kings chapter 18, Daniel's friends in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel himself in Daniel chapter 6, Peter and the apostles in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, in Acts chapter 5, verse 9, Paul in Acts chapter 16, verses 37 to 40. It seems clear from these examples that when civil law and the commands of Scripture are in opposition, we must recognize and obey the higher law, God's law. God's commands take precedence over all human authority. Acts 5, verse 29. Biblical examples of civil disobedience are seen in the following areas. 1. Protection of innocent human life. 2. Protection of God's people, the Hebrews, and the prophets. 3. Refusing to bow down to a false god. 4. Refusing to cease personal worship of God. and 5. Refusing to cease proclamation of the gospel. The following issues should be considered by anyone thinking about civil disobedience. 1. Civil disobedience is a last resort effort after other legislative measures have been tried and have repeatedly failed. 2. Civil disobedience should focus on priority issues, for example, the worship of God, and issues of personhood, for example, life, abortion, euthanasia, mercy killing, infanticide. 3. Make sure you know the consequences of your actions and are prepared to accept them. 4. Destruction of life or property violates other clear teachings of Scripture and is not warranted. 5. Those involved should not participate for the purpose of attracting attention to themselves or to gain a sense of superiority. 6. Believers are ambassadors for Jesus Christ and their attitudes and actions must be above reproach at all times. 7. One must come with a conviction of personal conscience that this is the right thing and the only thing to do. 
As for the consequences of civil disobedience, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, quote, No great cause ever achieved triumph before it devoted a certain quota to the prison population. End of quote. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.